0: Hello, I'm Richard Pyatt, and this is Legally Speaking. Ralph Menzies was sentenced to die in 1988 for kidnapping and killing a young mother. After many, many appeals, Menzies recently ran out of options at the Supreme Court. Now, the state is seeking a death warrant. Bottom line, time is run out for Menzies and his sentence will be carried out. Death by firing squad. Joining me today is Aaron Riley. Capital case coordinator for the state and the assistant solicitor general for the AG's office. Thanks for joining us today, Aaron. My pleasure. Why do these cases take so long? I think everyone wants to know. If someone sentenced to die, it's a heinous crime. 1988 was like 37 years ago.
1: I think there are several reasons it takes so long. First of all, of course, death is the ultimate punishment, and everyone involved wants to make sure that. There hasn't been a mistake. It wants to make sure that someone innocent is not executed. And the second reason is that there are lots of layers of review. A petitioner can seek an appeal after he's convicted and sentenced. He can also seek state post-conviction and appeal that. And then he can seek federal habeas relief and appeal from that. And, of course, the defendant, the one convicted doesn't have any incentive to make these cases go speedily because when they conclude, he's going to be executed. And so there are often delays that emanate from that, but also just delays in the system, having to go through so many layers and so many different courts looking at the case to make sure everything appropriate was done.
0: So uh, with... In the end, is time really up for Menzies, would you say, or does he have some kind of sidewinder way that he can get out of it even at this point?
1: I would say it's getting very close to the end. There are things still going on. For example, Menzies and some other inmates have a case proceeding right now where they're challenging the prison's execution protocols. That's a separate case from the criminal action that we're dealing with. Uh, but that has some potential for delay.
0: But isn't that, isn't that when dealing with the lethal injection case in particular, or is it all the way they carry out all different options?
1: I'm not involved in that case because it is uh, dealing with the prison. And, in fact, we're my co-counsel and I are conflicted out from that. So we're not involved in the action that's proceeding there. But from the public information we know about it, it does appear that they're mostly challenging the lethal injection protocol. And Menzies, in fact, chose firing squad when he initially was given the option.
0: Right. So um, that's kind of an interesting attention-getting uh, option for, uh, for execution. Do you think that the state's really going to use firing squad to execute him? I mean, are the chances high? Are there any appeals as far as are there any legal options to second guess, you know, that option since it's been eliminated or anything like that?
1: Not that I'm aware of. The United States Supreme Court has uh, never found the firing squad to be unconstitutional. It has been used in Utah before, and we don't, we from the state, don't see any reason why that method of execution could not proceed.
0: Okay. So from here, how does the process going to go? You, you said that we, we basically seek a death warrant, and, and then uh, what's the process to get to the point where he's standing in front of the firing squad?
1: So Menzies has already been sentenced to death, and an execution warrant was issued at that time. But then that was stayed as these various appeals and other things have proceeded. So we will find out if there's still an actual stay in effect, and then we will go before the judge and ask him to—he's not actually uh, signing or sentencing Menzies to be executed because that's already been done, but he would proceed with the, exit, the warrant of execution, and once the judge signs that warrant, the judge will set a specific day for the execution to take place. And that has to happen no, less, no fewer than 30 days from the date he signs it, and no more than 60 days. So once the judge actually signs the warrant of execution, the execution has to be scheduled between 30 and 60 days from that date.
0: Okay. This has been something that I, I think I remember... Interviewing uh, the victim, Maureen Hunsaker's son Matt, when he was a young kid.
1: Yes, I believe he was approximately ten when his mother was murdered. And
0: now he's almost fifty, so he's been waiting. He's been waiting a long time. Do you speak with the family and get their input, and does it play into the legal case at all? Do, do, do the the family's feelings about it and their their hurt. How does that? legally interface with the case
1: we do speak with any victim members who want to speak with us our office has a great victim coordinator and uh, we also matt hunsaker is someone who's come to a lot of court hearings who i have talked with numerous times over the years but the amount of involvement of the victims depends on the victims themselves for some, it's just too traumatic to be involved. They don't want to be involved. They want to know what's going on, but they don't want to be um, personally at the court hearings. For other people, they find that cathartic or helpful emotionally to be there. So it just depends on the victims in a particular case, how much they want to participate, how much they want to speak with us.
0: Do you ever hear from Menzies' family or friends? I have not. What's... uh. What do you think the uh, the likelihood that the death penalty, given the delays, is in fact an deterrent, a deterrent? deterrent. Do you have any? I know you deal with this on the on the ground, but given the legal landscape, if you were um, if you were prosecuting a case, would you still seek the death penalty? Do you think it would?
1: It would depend entirely on the case on the facts and circumstances of a particular case. And when you talk about deterrent, I don't think there's a lot of murderers who sit around thinking about and planning a murder and thinking, well, if I commit this murder, I might get the death penalty. But deterrent is also keeping someone in prison or executing them so they cannot commit another murder, uh, which in Utah, we have that exact situation where Mr. Kell was convicted of murder, and then while he was in prison, murdered another inmate. So there's that deterrent as well.
0: So what's, the, what's, what's our standing total of number of people who are on death row right now?
1: There are only seven people in the entire state of Utah currently on death row.
0: And are any of their appeals also nearing the end?
1: No. Menzies' case is the closest to execution. Mr. Honey's case is getting relatively close. He has a petition pending in front of the Supreme Court right now. Um, So he's not too far behind Mr. Menzies.
0: So is this process expensive for taxpayers from a business standpoint? The the, the endless appeals, well what feels like endless appeals... Going
1: on? on. It is expensive uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, the salaries of all of the attorneys working on these cases, salaries for uh, prosecutors and attorneys general, and of course, defense attorneys uh, representing Mr. Menzies or whatever inmate we're talking about. But on the other hand, all of these types of appeals and post conviction petitions and habeas petitions. He could file if he were sentenced to life in prison rather than the death penalty. So it's not really an expense issue there that I see as being so much different from someone who may have received a life without parole sentence. One thing that is different is their right to counsel for state post-conviction petitions. Death penalty petitioners do have a statutory right to appointed counsel. And that's an additional expense that other inmates don't have. Other inmates can ask for counsel, but if counsel is appointed, that's pro bono counsel.
0: So does Menzies direct this um these these final legal proceedings, or do they just happen automatically? Is he does he have any say in how this proceeds or is is he kind of he's just out of it now as far as the legal process goes, right?
1: No. Uh he, he does certainly have a say. To say directs is a little confusing because, of course, they're not, inmates might not be familiar with all the legal ins and outs of what can be done, and, but he does have counsel for that. But he also can direct his own counsel as to whether he wants to continue appealing, whether he wants to file another petition, whether he wants to go ahead and proceed with the execution. So he does have that control as to what he tells his own counsel is the way that he wants to proceed.
0: So, when we say that this is the end of the road for Menzies, that his execution is the next step, basically, after these proceedings, or after these proceedings play themselves out, what are we talking about? Like a couple months from now, or uh, half a year?
1: I think, at a guess, the earliest an execution date would probably be set is probably January. There is another wrinkle to this, of course, which is that uh, Mr. Menzies or any inmate can file petition seeking commutation from the Board of Pardons and Paroles. Now, he has to file that. Once an execution warrant is signed, he has to file that petition within seven days of it being signed. So that's not supposed to delay things, but the possibility exists that it could could cause some delay because if a commutation petition were pending that the board chose to proceed with.
0: All right, Aaron Riley, thank you very much for joining us today. And legally speaking, a little peek behind the scenes of uh, what happens as some Mir's execution on Utah's capital case row, death row. And Aaron, thank you very much for joining us. I'm Richard Pyatt. Thanks for joining Legally Speaking. We'll talk to you next time.